how long. It's about faith under fire. And when things are looking rough and things aren't going the way you'd want, how do I trust in my God and grow in the midst? Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. Great to be worshiping both online, here in person as we go after it. Fired up to be in the second week of this series. The series is called How Long? How long, O Lord? How long are we going to walk through these circumstances? How long are we going to go through this? And just walking through the book of Habakkuk, taking a look at what he has to say, what he learned, what he grew in. And uh, so as we dive into this, let's make sure that we learn what Habakkuk the prophet learned of God and his greatness. So here's my request, okay? Do me a favor, turn with me, if you will, to Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 12. And as you go there, this is like about five books back in the Old Testament from the end, all right? It's about five from the end in the Old Testament. So go ahead and turn to Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12, and I'll catch you up on where we were. The first 11 verses as we went after it last week, this is Habakkuk saying, God, how long? He was watching what was happening and he was watching what was taking place with all of those in Judah. Remember, Israel is like 12 tribes, right? 12 tribes, but they had split into 10 tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. So Israel and Judah, don't worry, we got it under control. We're getting it taken care of, right? They're handling things. So the reality is as, as he was trying to take care of the 10 to the north and the two to the south, Israel and Judah, just trying to get things taken care of, he's going, God, do you see? Do you see how bad it's gone? Josiah was king over Judah. And it wasn't going well right after he was done. He had brought it up to this great level of worship. Everybody was honoring the word. They were celebrating that was what was taking place. And right after Josiah passed away, everything spiraled out. And Judah went all wrong. And the sin was everywhere. Remember, we talked about Assyria as a nation. They came flooding in to the 10 tribes above Israel. And they were challenging them. They took them on. They spread them all over the place. They basically were used as a, maybe a disciplining, if you want to say it that way, by God. As Assyria came in to discipline Israel to the north. So now Judah, the two tribes to the south, are seeing all of that sin. And all of the sin going on within Judah. And it's bad. And Habakkuk is like, God, how long? How long are you going to put up with this sin? How long are you going to allow this? And God ends up saying, don't worry. You're going to be stunned by what I do. Hang on. I'm going to do something you wouldn't even believe. I'm going to bring in the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. They're basically on the south side of Assyria there. They were a part of Assyria and then started taking even Assyria over. They were ruthless. They were horrible. They were terrifying. God's like, I'm going to use that sinful nation and I'm going to do something big about addressing the sin. And uh, that's kind of where we pick it up now. All right, so turn with me, if you will, to Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12. God has just gotten done saying, I'm going to use a super sinful nation to resolve some of this sin. Habakkuk's response to it, all right? Point number one, so maintain a focus on healthy worship while you wrestle with deep confusions. Maintain a focus of healthy worship while you wrestle with deep confusions. And have you ever been in that spot where you're wrestling with something that you see right in front of you and it just doesn't make sense? 
And make sure you maintain a focus on healthy worship while you process through what's going on, okay? And we're going to see a little bit of that example from Habakkuk and a little bit of him being tested in that area. Here we go. It says, Habakkuk now responding to God about hearing he's going to use a super ungodly nation to discipline Judah. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. He's like, we shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You, who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. He's like, are you not from everlasting, O Lord? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's the personal name of God, Yahweh. He's like, oh, Yahweh, which means I am. It means eternal one. So he starts out and he's like, are you not from everlasting, O one who is named eternal one? Right? He's recognizing the greatness of God as he comes before him. You have existed from forever before and into forever in the future. And you don't depend on anyone for your existence. You are awesome, O God. He says, you, O Lord, my God, my Holy One. He says, a personal walk with God as he comes to him respectfully, worshipfully, hopefully, as he says, my God and my holy, everybody just say my. And as we come to our God, may we not distance ourselves from him. May we come up close to him saying, you are my God. I'm leaning on you. I'm trusting in you. Habakkuk showing deep respect here as he recognizes his name, as he cries out his personal relationship, as he trusts in him. I'll just put it this way, some words I wrote down prompt, uh, looking over this this week. When wrestling with what you see, when wrestling with what you see, don't distance from what you know. When wrestling with what you see, don't distance from what you know. Man, it's super important that as you begin to process the things you see going on around you, as you begin to process this past year, as you try to put things into understanding, don't separate from what God is, who God is, and what God promises. Lock down on what you know, and then try to process it in that light. And uh, he says, my God and my Holy One, he's like, you have all power and no sin, and you are awesome. You are almighty and righteous and pure. I'm not going to separate from that. But God, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And, uh, he says, we shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. He's like, we shall not die. Why is he saying that? He's like, God, you promised Abraham. You promised that there would be this massive fulfillment, that there would be tons and tons of offspring, that this nation would thrive and grow, that everything would be taken. God, you promised we will not be obliterated. This nation will survive. And so I'm going to hang on that. I'm anchoring in the truth. This nation will not be removed completely. But I get that you're doing a work of judgment. I get that you're doing a work of reproof. I understand, God, that you're stepping into this moment with Judah and you're going to bring your disciplining hand. And God, it's needed. I see it. And so I recognize your disciplining hand. And God, I trust you. 
You're not going to obliterate the entire nation. Your promise will stay true. He's anchoring into the hope that he has while he sees what God is doing. Notice he says, and you, O rock. Like he recognizes the strength in God Almighty and the hope in God Almighty. We can anchor in him. Man, whenever you are wrestling with your deepest struggles, whenever the stuff right in front of you just doesn't make sense, anchor your worship deep. I will not separate from what scripture says about my God. Lord, help me process this in light of those facts and in light of my worship. Huge deal. He says, Lord, you have established these moments of reproof. I recognize, basically he's saying, I recognize you're going to use the Chaldeans. And I recognize you're going to use this group of people that quite frankly, I'm not really in favor of using. But God, I recognize you're going to do something of reproof, but not destruction. And Lord, Chaldeans aren't really known for that. And so I'm just kind of restating for myself and maybe you too, God. Have you ever been in one of those moments where you're like, maybe God needs a little bit of my counsel, right? And that's kind of where Habakkuk is. He's like, I think maybe you need to hear a little from me, God, just a little reminder, and I'm reminding myself too. And he says, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. You, oh God, who cannot see or look at, it's not that God's blind, He's not like, you, you don't have any ability to see it. Like, he's not saying that. He's saying, God, you are so holy, you shouldn't have to. And you actually have to deal with sin. And I get that, God. You who are pure. You know, there are many who, when they preach Habakkuk, they preach Habakkuk as being in deep rebellion with this statement. That he's actually really beginning to say things like he's buttering God up to be able to punch him. And I think that's going too far. I think Habakkuk is really dealing here with, I don't get what I'm seeing, but I get who I know. And so I'm saying them both, and I'm really confused. Like, that's what's going on. That's where he's at. And I think that's a very legitimate moment as he brings it out. This is my God and my struggle. That's where I'm at. And... Uh, he says, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Like, God, why are you idly allowing Chaldeans, the Babylonians, these horrible, nasty, ruthless people who are way worse than Judah to come storming in? Like, God, I know I was just complaining about the sin of Judah, but can we be clear? The sin of Babylon, Chaldea, way worse Way worse. Why are you using somebody so much worse to try to do something with somebody so much better? Quite frankly, I don't get it. I'm at a loss, God, for who and how you're working with sin. You seem to be idly sitting by as you allow or even it seems condone the sin of Babylon. God, it can't be that. Your eyes are too pure. Your heart is too holy. So, so what are you doing, God? What am I missing? And, uh, Habakkuk having a pretty big crisis of faith because of what he's seeing and not quite matching up with what he's understanding of God and how he would expect God to act and react. So I just wrote this down. Uh, top four warning signs of a confused heart. 
when you're facing sin. Top four warning signs of a confused heart when you're facing sin. Like sometimes we face things and we do well with it and sometimes we're super confused. How do I know if I'm confused in the midst of facing sin? Here we go. Number one, my biggest battle cry. Look at their sin. Look at them. When your first statement is, look how horrible everybody else is. When that's the first and foremost statement, you're probably beginning to drift just a pinch. If you don't see yourself as wrestling with sin as well, we all struggle with sin. And all of God's people said, and notice I said, and all of God's people said, humanity, we struggle with sin. If we say we're without sin, we lie and don't do the, do the truth. First John 1, it's super important we grasp that all of us are sinners in need of a savior. When we become an expert on somebody else's sin, be careful. When our first battle cry is, look at all their sin. Look at all these sinful people. Point number two, don't look at my sin. Or maybe even more, what sin? Not my sin. That's not what I'm talking about. Man, that's a horrible one-two punch. Look at their sin. What sin? Not mine. I'm not talking about my sin. That's a problem. We're beginning to get confused. We're beginning to miss the struggles we have on a daily basis and the heart-wrenching moments we have with our own heart or our mouth or our actions throughout a day or a week. And all of a sudden, we're judging others and we're not putting ourselves under the same scrutiny. Be careful. That's definitely a sign of a heart getting confused, fed up. Point number three, we turn to God and we say, do something, do something. Man, as soon as we begin to cry out to God, your timing is not my timing. That's a problem moment. God, do something. As soon as we start demanding that, we're getting into a bad spot. And point number four that comes right with it. Well, not that. That's usually what comes with it. Because God says, I'm doing something. Or he starts wading in and we're like, you know, God, I, I really was thinking you'd move differently than that. Now we know we're really in a bad spot. Look at all the sin. Not my sin. Will you do something? Not that. Do you notice who's in charge in this conversation at the moment? That's a problem situation. And man, be careful. It's so easy to subtly trip into this because we mean so well. God, your holiness. Lord, the church. Lord, what about? And we start trying to call out good things and all of a sudden we start crumbling into whining and complaining and Look at all their sin, not mine, and God, do something, and please, not what you were going to do, right? And uh, be careful. Those are strong signs of confusion. Habakkuk definitely has it going on. I'll just say it this way. You know, in this past couple of weeks, we had decided to do a, a little bit of uh, fixing up around the house, right? We've been in our house since 2008, and uh, so we did some painting of the house, got that cleaned up and fixed up, and we ended up doing a little bit of changing in the bedroom. And in fact, we had decided on getting a mirror, a little more contemporary mirror. We found one that was available over at Hobby Lobby. It was half price. You know how they have half prices sales, like, I don't know, always. Seems like something's always on sale there, right? So we were at Hobby Lobby there at a half price sale. We got one of these mirrors. It was really nice. It's got kind of the weathered white wood on the side. And it's one of those floor mirrors, you know, where you put it down on the floor and it kind of just rests against the wall. I used to, when I first saw those, I was like, how lazy to not hang the mirror, right? And now we're like, no, dude, that's cool, right? 
So we just leaned it up against the wall, right? So we kind of got it. I walked in. I leaned it up against the wall. We cleaned it all up, sprayed it with some Windex, cleaned it all up so that it reflects just perfectly. And it's one of those where, you know, it's floor length, so you can actually get, like, everything in. So now you can see not, you know how we used to put the mirrors up on top of the dresser? And you could see, like, waist up. You're like, well, it's looking okay up here. Not sure what's going on down there, right? So now you can stand there and you can check your shoes. I never have. But you can check your shoes. John already has a few times. Thank God, right? So we have these mirrors now. You can check your shoes. You can check whatever you're wearing all the way up and down. Make sure it works. Here's the problem. Sitting against the wall, it was facing like into the corner. So to check it, you got to be like walking all the way over against the wall. And you're like, yeah, it looks okay, I think. So we're like, that's not working at all. So we ended up turning. It wasn't facing the right way, so we kind of turned it to kind of corner it into the wall. And now it's facing out more towards the middle of the room. So from the middle of the room, you can kind of stand and you can make sure that things are looking okay. You know, here's the deal about mirrors. They reflect exactly what they're facing at, right? It's a super big deal to grasp. Man, know this. Your heart is a lot like a mirror. And your heart will reflect exactly what you're facing. And if you start to just stare at all the things that are wrong and all the sin going on, your heart will begin to spew back that frustration and that sin. Your heart becomes a mirror for whatever you're staring at. Man, we got to make sure that we turn our hearts in clear worship towards God, facing Him outright, worshiping and celebrating Him, letting His glory shine on you and you reflect that back. Your facing should always be towards God, not towards that which is around you. I just wrote a phrase this week. In the face of sin, do not face sin. Face your God. In the face of sin, face your God. When sin is washing on your shore, you make sure your direction is straight up to your God in full tilt celebration and worship of all that he is. In all of his forgiveness, in all of his healing, in all of his provision, you look at all the greatness of God and your heart in the midst of sin washing on your shore will be amazingly more resilient. Be careful where you face your heart. And all of God's people said, So how are you doing at facing your heart towards your God in the midst of your struggle or confusion? How are you doing at making sure your worship is anchored in Jesus Christ and remembering him, thanking him, and celebrating him along the way? May we be an expert of what we know of our God. And let's worship him no matter the confusion. All right? Point number two, cry out, cry out to your God with clarity and wait patiently for his answer. Cry out to your God with clarity and wait patiently for his answer. He says, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler He's talking here actually about Judah. He's talking about the people that are going to be now judged. The people he was just complaining about. Lord, will you do something about this sin? And he's like, all right, I'll send in Babylon and all their sinfulness to be a judge. And he's like, "Uh, that's a little rough. You're making them like fish. They're They're like prey. They can't even be protected. 
They're, they're so easily swept up. It's like they don't have a king. They don't have a protector. They don't have a ruler if they can just be swept in on like that. Lord God, they seem helpless and defenseless. And you're making them like fish. He says, he brings all of them up with a hook. He who? Well, now in his metaphor, he's like, look, Judah is the fish. And the Chaldeans are the he. And he's like, I'm just telling you. You're bringing them in in their sinfulness and their nastiness. They tend to destroy whoever and whatever they come up against. And well, they're just going to roar in here like fishermen with a hook. They're just going to be gaffing Judah and pulling them out and killing them. It's going to be brutal. God, I'm scared for what's going to happen with what you just said. And Lord, really? We're going to let Babylon come in and just gaff your people? They're like coming in with a hook. He drags them with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet and he rejoices and is glad. Lord, they're going to start celebrating in their victory over your people. Like, God, I've got a little bit of a struggle here with seeing sin win. These guys in their dragnet, they're going to cast out and pull in the fish. They're just going to easily take in Judah. Babylon will sweep over us without your protection. Really, he's saying this, God, I know the only reason we've survived so far is you protect us. And Lord, I'm a little nervous if you're saying you're just going to let them come in. Have you ever been fishing where you just see a bunch of fish down there and you like throw a net in and you pull it up and like 50 fish come out just bouncing and it's super easy to grab them? Have you ever done that? Like most of you are like, no. Like me neither, I don't go fishing with a net, but the reality is just throwing them down where there's fish, letting it go to the bottom and then pulling it up, you just reel them in, baby. You're not even trying to entice them. You just grab them and pull them on board. You use a a rod and you stick them and pull them in and he's like, we're gonna be that to this horrifying people. God, seriously, they get happy about it. Are you okay that they're celebrating victory in their sinfulness? And uh, therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. In other words, they are godless people. They aren't worshiping you, O Yahweh. They're worshiping their nets. They're worshiping their weapons of war. They're worshiping what gives them wins. Let's be honest. They're worshiping the pragmatism. It works. And so they celebrate it and they go after it. And Lord, they aren't making you their God at all. They worship the pragmatic. And uh, I'll just say it this way. And we always make idols of what delivers us immediate gratification. We always make idols of what delivers us immediate gratification. And he's like, God, look at the Chaldeans. It's going to deliver immediate gratification. It's an idol for them. Their victory over us in sinfulness and horridness. They'll just continue to make it their God and not you. Lord God, seriously, you're going to let this godless nation, this sinful nation, rage on your people? It says, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Like, God, if you don't stop it, then who's gonna? Like, God, when... Does this end? Now the reality, none of those issues are really Habakkuk's real issue. 
Habakkuk is just trying to make sure that the sin stops, but the nation doesn't get destroyed. And now he doesn't like the way God is working in another nation. And he's got questions about it. He's like, God, I think you're going a little too far. Right? The moment we feel that God needs our counsel, we are definitely over the edge. And man, I'm telling you, our frustration can often make it so crystal clear in our minds that we're missing the bigger picture. Everybody say, there's a bigger picture. Dude, there just always is, and God knows what he's doing. And so we trust him in his love, in his power, in his authority, in his hatred of sin, and in his purifying of the nations, in his calling of Jesus Christ. God has a plan. Everybody say, God has a plan. He does, man. God has a plan. So just a little reminder here. I'm telling you, I was doing some study this week, and this just rocked me to the core. Get this now. You ready? God takes Abraham. Abraham's all by just this family. God takes Abraham. He's in Ur of the, say it louder, Ur of the, Ur of the Chaldeans. That's the same people, man. He's like, hey, Abraham, time for you to stand up and come out of your people, the Chaldeans. And he brings them through this whole, like this whole area of Mesopotamia. It's lush, man. It's gorgeous. It is so green and rich. And they call it the fertile crescent. It was so rich. That's what he had to walk through. And then he gets to Israel. Have you been to the land of Israel? It's not that fertile, man. There had to be a moment where Abraham was like, we went a long way. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is a lot of rock and dirt, man. Like, what's going on with, and what, now, and God's like, listen, I am going to make this something that will thrive for you, but as you trust me, this will be just as fertile as you trust me. So Abraham sets up shop. His people end up becoming a nation there through a lot of events. He has the nation of Israel, 12 tribes, all of Abraham's offspring that are there now. And all of a sudden, Judah, down in the south, misbehaving to the max. And so who does God decide to bring in to be the one to resolve? Abraham's relationship. The Chaldeans. These are people who in some way had some offspring connection to Abraham. And as he brings in the Chaldeans to roar in, he's using the Chaldeans, some of Abraham's relations somehow from a way distant past, to now judge Judah. And he brings a judgment on them, even in the midst of that Chaldean sinfulness. They grab the people and it says they bring them back to Babylon, back to Chaldea, back to that area just outside of Ur. It's almost like God said, reset. We sent from Ur and we got it all established. We're bringing it all back. And he's like, just so you know, you're going to hang here in Babylon for 70 years. It's for every year of the Sabbath that was not followed in the land. You didn't treat the land right. So 70 years out of the land, reset. Now I'm taking the people back before it was Abraham. Now it's a whole nation of people. And he grabs them and brings them back. Ezra and Nehemiah building a temple, building the wall, getting it established fast. Here we go, re-establishing Jerusalem. God has a plan. Everybody say, God has a plan. Not done yet, but Daniel. You remember that name, Daniel? So in the time of 70 years over here in Babylon, 
Daniel's chatting and he's sharing his dreams. And one of the dreams is in Daniel chapter 9. And he's like, there's going to be a Messiah King who's going to come. And here's the calendar of when it's going to happen. And he's telling the people he's with, the ones who love astronomy, the ones who love the sciences, the Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans are hearing this and grasping this and they're writing it down. And over the centuries, they're watching for it. And when in Israel, the time of the Messiah comes, who ends up from the east being the one to come? Most believe it is probably these Chaldeans, these astronomers, the ones who heard from Daniel, the ones that in the reset caught the Messiah. And God now brings the Chaldeans to come as the wise men coming to worship the Messiah, Savior, Jesus Christ. Dude, I don't know what's up with Chaldea, but I'll tell you this, Abraham from Chaldea, bring them back and level set through them coming and dominating. Bring back now the kings and celebrate the Messiah is here. God's got a plan on the national level. And all of God's people said, yeah, Habakkuk was kind of missing that. He's like, God, what are you doing? And God's like, you wouldn't even believe what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. May we always recognize God has a plan. God, it doesn't make much sense to me. Hang on. It may take days. It may take centuries. But eventually, God's going to reveal to us, and we're going to be in laughter over the amazing brilliance of our God at work in this world. He says, God, I, I really don't understand. These people seem to be running off out of control. What are you going to do? He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what you say to me. Habakkuk. God, I got a problem. Lord, you are awesome. And I don't understand what's going on. I see you saying, but here's my confusion in. And so God, I'm going to go take my stand on the watch post and I'm going to watch you work. Now, many will preach this actually as being super impudent, super back talk. Like, all right, that's my problem. Now I'm going to watch to see if you have any kind of a good answer to give. That's how they give him the tone. I don't see that. Here's what I see him saying. God, I am super confused. Here's who you are. And here's what's happening. How do I put those together? Lord God, I long for it to make sense in my worship of you. So I watch. Man, may we very respectfully and attentively come before our king. God has a plan. And the plan may align exactly with what you want to see happen. And the plan may be very different than what you want to see happen. But God has a plan. He is the sovereign of this universe. He says it and it is. He is almighty. He is eternal from eternity past to eternity future. He stands in the face of sin and he will deal with sin. Now, Habakkuk is going to hear a little bit about God dealing with sin when it comes to Babylon. And we'll talk about that in the next two weeks. But the reality is God's like, just hang on. 
Like, I think that's God's word and that's God's tone. I love that God has that level of patience where he's like, God, I don't get it and, I, and I'm watching. And God's like, you do that. You just hang on. You're going to be stunned with what I do at an international level. You watch what I'm going to do. And it's a huge answer along the way. You know, I just wrote these words. Patience and purpose in the face of sin are key parts to mercy. Patience and purpose, key parts to mercy. God is a merciful God. He will have patience, but more than that, he will have purpose. Let God move with wisdom and genius in this world. You know, I, I just wrote another statement down for us who like to be maybe Habakkuk. Uh, when we disagree with God, when we disagree with God, I think you are wrong. When we disagree with God, someone is wrong. And it is not God. And that's it. When we disagree with God, someone is wrong. Careful what you're trying to do with that. May God get all the glory. And um, so as a little celebration and a little closeout, when we share with God, when we uh, let our heart be rolled out before God, be ready to learn and grow. Like, Lord, here's where I'm at and I'm really struggling with it. Be ready to learn and grow. Lord, I'm sure that I'm missing something. What do I need to hear? Be ready to learn and grow. All too often, we start our conversation with God thinking, God needs to be ready to learn and grow. We really do. We start approaching it like, apparently you don't know this. You need a little insight. Here's my thoughts on, you should address this as, God, do you know how much better it would go if? Live and learn. That is a terrible position to have. Everybody say, not that. Lord God, I share with you from my heart. I wrestle with what I see and what I know from your word. And I long to learn and grow. Everybody just say, learn and grow. Lord God, I'm trusting you. Lord God, in the face of what's going on nationally, in the face of what's going on internationally, I am ready to learn and grow. Lord God, in the face of all of this mess happening right now in our world, in the face of unsettledness when it comes to battles, when it comes to health, when it comes to who's in control, when it comes to what's the best approach, when it comes to how things are being controlled, Lord God, I'm trusting you. I'm in. I am ready to learn and I am ready to grow. Look, I have no big picture answer except one. I know the God of the universe and he can be trusted. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Habakkuk, what a, 
simple little book to be walking through that gives us a huge insight to our own heart. Lord, help the mirror of my heart focus on you and trust in you with all I've got. And all of God's people said, let's pray. 